can be turning your Bibles to Genesis 3, scripture we'll look at here in just a second. We're going to talk today, we are looking at the doctrine of the family, and we're focusing now on the leader of the family, God's will for the father, and we talked about, I mentioned seven duties, works, responsibilities that God talks about a man needs to fulfill seven of leading his family loving providing teaching disciplining protecting and praying for his family we're gonna go back and talk in detail about each of these today we're gonna to look at the aspect of being the leader of the family and this is something under great attack today in fact it's under more attack than we know it is really a prime focus of the unbelieving world today. It's a part of the tearing down of God's system of the family that's at work today that we see manifested in marriage relationship distortion and, and then now with gender. But underlying all of that is this area of pulling down and uprooting God's design that the husband and father, the man, is to be the leader of the home. And you will hear it, that, that the, the, the phrase that you will hear the unbelieving world actually use that they will target and they will vilify is the phrase male patriarchy. That is their target. That is one of the worst things to them. And you'll hear them say it and talk about it, that that being the, one of the great problems in the world today. It's a feminist agenda, but it's a tool of Satan to bring down God's design for life, that they don't want the man being the leader because man is directly responsible to God and is commanded by God to be leading in one main, one overall area of his leadership that he's called to is to lead in keeping the commandments of God. That's man's job. That's his responsibility and that will be his accountability before God. And the devil wants to take that out of the way as a way of keeping that from happening, weakening that from happening in the family. And we see this in Genesis and the basis for it. So we'll look at that. Actually, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. Look there first. And this is the very important guidance for us of how everything was made and then how it directs how life is to happen. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now here, and then we go, and we go on the following verses, and you see then God creates the woman, Eve, and then the first family is formed. All that occurred on the sixth day, but it's very clear here that God made Adam first, and then gave him his job duties, and then he made the woman last. And Paul brings that out in the New Testament and says 
that then directs us in the issue of leadership and how the family is to function. That God made Adam first, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. God made Adam first and then Eve. And being made first was the basis of man's leadership. That's the first basis. The second is his direct commandment. In verse 16 and 17, he, he goes to the man. The woman's not even there yet. He goes to the man, Adam, and says, I've made this garden, and there's your food there and the fruit of the trees and the plants of the ground, and you can eat of everything except one thing. You are not to eat of one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only commandment that Adam had at that point. It's the only commandment that God issued. And he gave it to the man directly. And it was the man's job, it was Adam's job, to keep that commandment. And then his family that was given to him after that, the wife Eve, and then the children later, it was his job to lead them in keeping that commandment also. He had not spoken that commandment to Eve. He had not spoken it to the children. He spoke it to the man. And then the man's job... With as we've been saying, a lot of God's work, He delegates it to human tools, and He's delegated this to Adam that He was to lead. Then He was to tell His family, "There's a tree over here. We're not to eat it," and He was to keep His family away from eating that tree, out of this commandment of God, and out of even His duty to protect His family. That if His family ate that tree, they were going to die. This was his job, this was his responsibility, and that, in its essence, was the basis of leadership. God gave him the responsibility to keep this commandment and to lead the others to keep it because it was given to him when he was only by himself, between him and God. And so Adam was the leader because he was first and because God charged him with this commandment as a leader, and therefore... It brings up the nature of leadership, and I just want to we'll describe it this way. If we boil it down, the basic essence of leadership means in a family is that Adam had the responsibility and the right to make the final decisions. He would make the final decision to say, no, we're not going to do this, or yes, we're going to go this way. That was his right. That was his responsibility. And that was his place to do that. And the wife and then the children later were created in a way that they were to be submissive to Adam's leadership of his final decisions. Adam, as a compassionate leader, would consider the needs of his family, would listen to what his family thought and felt and said, he would take those things into consideration, but then the responsibility to make a decision fell only on him to make the final call and to say, I believe we need to do this. And I believe God wants us to do this. And then the family in that context was responsible to say, okay, if you feel that this is what God wants you to do, what we should do, then I will follow your leadership. They were responsible to follow his leadership. And that's how leadership worked. And it works that way in all of the world's organizations. It works that way in the workplace. 
These principles are carried out on a daily basis in the secular world by unbelievers, and they don't question them at all. But let, when we try to apply it to the family, they get all up in arms. And there's this great campaign against the evils of male patriarchy. Oh, how, how, uh, how arrogant those guys are. Say they're, they're the leader. When those guys are in corporations, and they do the very same thing. A good business leader will listen to his employees. He'll consider their needs, how they can be the best employee they can be, and, and listen to their concerns or their desires. But then in the end, the CEO makes the final decision. And the employees then have to go along with it. Unless it's something that is something God has said not to do, and then they have a choice whether to obey their boss or obey God, which may mean then they don't work for him anymore. But the business world functions this way all the time. This is just the principles of leadership. This is how it works. You usually you really don't have more than one leader who's making decisions unless you, unless you, have a, you might have a team who uh, then goes by majority but for a lot of things, you can't, it's not real practical to make a lot of every decision that way. Big decisions can be made that way, but day-to-day decisions, it comes down to some leader. A president is, is assigned to that leadership position or a, a manager is assigned a leadership position, and they make the call. They make, they make a final decision. They say, I believe we need, we're going to do this, and everybody else says, okay, we'll do that. They may not even agree. But they follow the leadership of the leader who's made the final decision. That's how it works in the family also. And men, that's, that's the position we have to make that final decision. And there's two parts to that. And we're going to go that here, here in just a second is there is the right and the authority to make the final decision. God has given us that. And we need to be careful that we don't become prideful about that and misuse that and abuse that authority in a way that's not in God's will. That's, that's a problem. That is a part that comes out and that happens because of our sin nature and that is a problem. But it doesn't then remove this system that God has set up. And that's what the feminist movement tries to say. Oh, men, they've abused women. They've abused people. Therefore, they don't deserve to lead anymore. That's basically the premise of the feminist movement. And we have to think through all of this and be prepared in our good answer because you, because you get thrown that and you go, oh, okay, I don't want to justify abuse. Oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll accept what you're saying. No, that's not how we approach it. Yeah, the abuse is wrong. Abuse of authority is wrong. But it doesn't change how the, the system is, the, is the, the good and biblical system. We need to change how that leader is operating, not that he's a leader. And so there's the right to make a final decision then there's a responsibility to make a final decision. Is that, men, we are responsible to make decisions, to make the final call. And the problem comes a lot is that we may neglect that and not make a decision. And by default, then others become the leaders. And typically, it is then the wife becomes the leader through the husband neglecting to make decisions. And in fact, that's exactly how the first sin happened. So let's go to Genesis 3 and let's see this dynamic where the first sin happened because Adam 
failed in this responsibility to make a final decision. So I'm not going to read every one of these verses, but just you know, the serpent comes to the woman there in the opening verses, talking to her about eating that fruit that God had told Adam not to. And you see here, verse 2, the woman says to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you, shall you touch it lest you die. So Adam had done his job at that point. He had taught her. He had reported to her to say, oh, we're not to eat this. God said don't eat it. And so he was leading his family, let it, let, told Eve about it. He was doing his job at that point. He had communicated that to Eve. And now here's the challenge to it. And, the, and the, the devil begins to talk to her. Verse 4, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it. Your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes of the tree, desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And so right there you see the first thing that happened because the leadership roles were reversed. And Eve took upon her what God had not given her to do to be the leader and to seek to direct the leadership in the direction of the family. And Adam failed in his responsibility to speak up and make a decision when he needed to. And the first sin was the result. So they're in the garden working, most likely, and, and the servant comes to, to, to the woman and then plays on her desires for something more, which is a basic desire and in, in, you know, can be stirred up in a human heart. And he plays on her emotions for some, some better existence. And, and that's what was at work in her, an emotional thing of, hey, I can have something better in the future than what I've got right now. And she was looking down the road, I believe. It was, was going to make her wise and make her like God, and she could achieve things that in the future she felt like she couldn't otherwise in, in her deception. It was more of a, I think, long-term look for her. And Adam is standing there. The last phrase of verse 6 indicates he's right there with her. He most likely is even hearing the conversation. But Adam says nothing. He stays silent. And then he takes it from her. He allows her to make the decision. So here, Adam allows Eve to make the final decision. He goes with her decision rather than standing up. And, and his response at that point should have been to say, no, remember God said, or they weren't forgetting it. They didn't discuss it already, but said, no, God is right in this. And the serpent is not right. We can trust God. God never lies. What God said is the, is the truth. We don't need to eat this because we will die. So put it back. That's what Adam should have done in making a final decision to say, no, we're not going to do this. It was a challenge of leadership. There was a crisis of leadership here. And Adam failed in that he failed at his responsibility to speak up and say, no, we don't need to do this. And we're not going to do this. And to say it out of love, you know. Again, there's the issue of how you say something and what you say. And the ideal thing is we say right thing in the right way. But even if you don't say it in the right way, if you say the right thing, that's better than, than, than nothing. But Adam should have said, no, we're not doing this. 
Why was Adam, where was Adam? What was, I mean, what was going on with him? We can only speculate, but probably typically he's in the garden. That's where he was working. He was tending the garden. That was his job to tend the garden. God had given him his commandment first, and he gave him the work in the garden. Then he gave him a family. Those are the three areas of a man's responsibility. His obeying God's commandments, work in the earth to provide for needs, and then caring for a family. He was doing that work, most likely. He was working there in the garden, and he just maybe was distracted by his work, perhaps. Because that's very typical today that we men can be so focused on the second area of our vocation, our work, and get so wrapped up in that and so consumed in that is we let the other two areas go and neglect. Perhaps that's what happened. He was just focused on gathering fruit. He was just focused on working. Maybe he felt like he needed to get a certain amount that day, and he was just working, 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 and, and here and then Serpent's talking to his wife over there, and, and he's, he's hearing it, but he's just not really focusing on it, and then he's not focused on his first duty to keep God's commandments because he got wrapped up in his word, perhaps. And then when the challenge came, he just said nothing. Maybe he was off focus, and he said nothing. He did not make the proper final decision, and he made the wrong decision where he just took the fruit with no, no, no word and just took it and ate it. And then the curse fell on them, and they began to die. So here's the dynamics of leadership, is that Adam was responsible to make a final decision, and he didn't. That's the essence of leadership, is you make a final decision, and you, you make a final decision in the context of what does God command us to do? What does God's will for us? As people, as a family, the man's job is to lead his family in that way, to keep the commandments of God. And now it's broadened to you know, a lot more areas than just not eating a certain fruit in a garden. It's a lot of other areas, and that's our job. And we need to be on top of that as men. We need to be on top of, of what God's Word teaches and what we're to be doing, what God expects of us, and what will bring harm to us. And we're to lead our families and protect our families in those areas. And it's our job to make those decisions and then be responsible to speak up when things are going in the wrong direction. So the right to lead and the responsibility to lead are two aspects of this. And so this is how it's to work. When we talked about man leading his family. What happened here with Adam and Eve was the prototype. It was foundational that plays out in all of our families. And it's the same dynamics that the man is called to be the leader. The wife is given as a helper. Then children to, may come be in that family and through God's blessing and they are to submit, all are to submit to the leadership of the father. And that simply means his focus is to be seeking to lead the family and obeying God's commandments, not doing anything that would be in violation of God's commandments because God gives us life. He's, he's put us here on the earth. He's put us here to work, to have a family. And the context is all in is about what does this creator God then want for us in our work, in our families? And everything's to be filtered through that lens. And it's the man's job to do that and to lead in that and say, this is what God's word says about this and this and this. And then make that final decision and say, this is the direction we're going. 
This is what we need to do. This is what God wants us to do. This is what we should do because God says this. And even to the point, even to the point to where it can get to some very personal decisions, personal things that a family, you know, a man even has the authority to say, I believe that this is what we should do for as a family. Others may not do this, but I believe we are to do this. Just between me and God and our family, I believe this is what we ought to do. And there's reasons I, I feel this way, and this is what we do. And the family's called to follow his leadership. Let me give you an example of that. The scripture just came to me, and it's very traumatic. Uh, the book of Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah chapter 35. God gives a illustration to Jeremiah here in chapter 35 in the midst of all of you know this is right in the midst Israel's at their last stages of sinfulness and about judges about to fall for the final time they're about to be taken away as captives lose their country they've gotten very sinful and that breakdown happened in their families first and God gives Jeremiah an illustration and says verse 2 says, go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. Okay, there was this group. The Rechabites were descendants of a man back the way. One of his ancestors was Rechab and then their family multiplied and there was a lot of them and they had the identity of this all this family and they even took on an identity of a people the Rechabites within Israel so he says go call one of their descendants bring them verse 4 and he brings them into the house of the Lord into the chamber of the priest verse 5 then I set before the sons of the house of Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups and I said to them drink wine but they said we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he charged us, to drink no wine in all our days. We are wives, our sons, and our, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. And so here was this, one of the early descendants of Rechab, or the son of Rechab, or Jonadab in verse 6. Jonadab is the father of that, Second generation felt led by God to say, to tell his children, I want to charge you that you drink no wine. Our family is going to drink no wine and you're not going to build a house. You're not going to have a field, but you're just going to travel around in a nomadic lifestyle. He charged him and commanded his generations, his children to do that. And they did that. For several generations up to that present time, they said they had obeyed the commandment of their father. And God is looking at this and saying to Jeremiah, go call them and test them on this and try to get them to drink wine and see if they obey the commandment of their father or not. And he does that. And they say, no, 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 we, we're not going to do that because, because our father, one of our grandfathers said not to do this. And we're keeping his commandment as the leader of our family. Look at God's response to this later in the chapter, verse 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. 
But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. Look at verse 16. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, that they, but they have not heard. And I have called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not like a man to stand before me forever. God looked at that and he said, well done. I'm very pleased with that because you are obeyed. You obeyed the commandment of your father and you're, you've kept it even through each generation. And God pronounced a great blessing. He said, there, I will always be at work in your family. There will always be someone saved, a man saved in your family who will stand before me forever. That's powerful words. You know what that means? That means today on the earth in 2021, there's a descendant of Rechab who saved serving the Lord. And there's going to be one until the Lord returns. Why? Because God was pleased with what these men were doing, that they so respected the commandment of their father, they kept it even when it was something highly unusual and something that others weren't doing, they did it just because Rechab's our father, and John, or it was Jonathan really, Jonathan was the leader of the family and he's been given that position by God. He has the right to, the authority to lead and he has said, I really feel strongly about this. I don't want us to drink wine. I don't want us to build houses, to plant, have, be farmers. I want us to travel around as, a, as nomads and shepherds and I really feel like that that's what we need to do and that's what I want you to do. And he charged them, probably on his deathbed said, we'll keep this word, do not deviate from this word and they said, yes, we will do it. And they did it. It was all just on the leadership of the Father. Now, we can get in and say, okay, well, why did he do that? Because should they have done that? Even God did command them. We can't have time to get into all this, but God has not ever said you can't drink any wine. In the Bible, it was always very diluted. It was a very low uh, amount of alcohol where they, they would not get drunk drinking just a regular beverage amount. He, can, he said, don't drink strong drink. Don't drink wine that's undiluted that will make you drunk, which is, by the way, what's sold today. It's all distilled to up the alcoholic content, so it's totally not equal to the wine of the Bible. So we'll go there on another day, but uh, just understand that. It was not really necessarily a sin for them to drink it as a beverage. Jesus drank that as a beverage. It wasn't a sin. It was very low alcoholic content. It wasn't a sin to build a house, of course. It wasn't a sin to be a farmer. So should they have done it? Should they have said, oh, well, this doesn't make sense. God didn't say this, so I don't have to do this, Dad. No, they said, okay, you feel strongly about this, so I'm going to do it. And God said, I am very pleased with that. And God said, this is what I want. And God said, I wish the whole house of Israel was like you. The whole house of Israel, I'm their father. I gave them life. I'm their ultimate leader. And they are not obeying me. And they're not listening to me. But the sons of Rechab, they're doing the will of their father. And God was saying, I wish Israel would do that for me. God was saying, that's good. That's what I want. And he, pronounced, he gave them a blessing because of it. Because these men and these generations of families did what their grandfather said out of respect to his position of leadership.
we've gotten so far away from that today. This scripture seems very foreign to us today. We say, oh, I don't have to do what my grandfather says. I'm my own person. I can make my own decisions. That's our thinking today. God's thinking is much different. God says, I like what the, the sons of Rechab did. They respected the leadership of their father to the point of foregoing things that others could do or they could do on, uh, in, in other circumstances just because their father said, don't do this. And I'll just throw this out. I think there's probably, probably what's going on with Jonathan's thought that that would be a, elements of weakening their family. Probably in the context of the spiritual slide of the country, all of the degeneration, he didn't want them, he wanted them kind of moving around so maybe they didn't get so detached to all the evil going on, or attached to the evil. Maybe it was a strategy of, of staying away from evil. I think that's what was going on in his mind, you know, even though we can't fully explain, but I think that's what he was thinking. It had moral implications why he said that. But the bottom line is God delighted that they respected the leadership of their father that they would do things that were unusual out of respect for that. And God said, that is good. I like that. So just take this as an insight into the heart of God. Apply it now to our discussion here of the leadership of the Father. Children, take, take note of this. Take note of this of how you respond to your father and your mother, too. Of When they say something, you know, I don't think I really need to do it that way. I don't think I can, I don't sure I have to do that. And think of the Rechabites. Where God said, I am very, good job. You, that is very good. You're doing very, very well. You're respecting the leadership of your father. Even if it might not make sense to you or make sense to everybody else, you respect it. He's the father and you, you respect it. You did it. And I'm going to bless you because of that. Why would God do that? And here's a very important key to all of this, where we come to. Why has God set up the family to operate this way? Why is God very pleased when this happens? It's because the Father is in the position to represent God over His earth. We as men, in being in positions of leadership, we are in the place, in a sense, we represent God to our families God made us to be what He is. He is the Heavenly Father. And He made us, we just take it for granted, oh yeah, I'm a father, I'm a male. God created it that way to reflect His being. God made us as male and as leadership in that way to reflect Him. And so when a family disrespects the leadership of an earthly father, they are actually disrespecting the heavenly father who's reflected through that. And that's why God delights in what the Rechabites did. He said, I wish Israel would do that to me and just do whatever I said without any question. And it's true with every family is that the earthly father Appointed by God is in the place of leadership where it's delegated to him. He's in the place of God in a, in a, in a very limited sense, the meaning he makes the final decisions. And it relates to how that person then responds to God. It's connected. And God is pleased when the leadership of a father is affirmed and followed because God's the one who set that up. And it reflects God as the father over his universe.
And so it's a very important thing. This is why, I believe, it's why the ungodly attack this. And, and, and that's Satan, actually, behind it all, we understand. It's Satan using the world to attack this. Why does Satan hate it so much? Because he knows this is a way to attack God, the Heavenly Father. It's to attack men who have been appointed by him to be his leaders on the earth. So that's why we're targets, men. And, and make no mistake, you are a target, and it will going to get more. And you start trying to stand up and be a leader in your family, and you will get criticized and condemned as an evil, arrogant brute who probably is abusing your family. That is really the thought of the world today. Well, you just want all that authority because you're really abusing your family, aren't you? That's the world's spin on it. And just... With that said, that means we need to be very careful <clears throat> about how we're going about our leadership because it can, we can be vilified. The world's an expert today of taking sinful mistakes and using them against Christians. I mean, that's, that's Satan's operational method today. So we need to be very careful. But understand, that's, that's why the world's things are happening that way. We're a target. We men are a target. That's why they vilify male patriarchy. It's all about attacking God. And the response of us is not to back away, not to, to stop staying stuff, to remain silent, to go kind of quiet. That's the mistake of Adam. And then may we remember this, times when we need to speak up and we are struggling to speak up. Remember Adam, when he stayed silent. And it plunged the whole human race into sin. It's our job to speak up. And we should speak up. Speak the truth in love. <clears throat> Don't shirk back. Speak the truth in love. Because this is God's system. This is God's design. And this is the way that life is to happen. But know that if we, as we do, we will be attacked. To try to, because the world is attacking God's system. But it's a good thing. It is God's system. The man is the leader to make the final decision, keeping the commandments of God. And we'll get to the second area next time, but we can just throw this in at this point. Very important point is, uh, the second area is loving your family. And it, the leadership is all done out of the context of love according, in, in godliness. In God's system, it is all to be carried out in love. It's not about having authority over somebody it's about loving somebody and caring for them and providing for them and that's god's direction for us as leaders as men loving our families like christ loved the church that's the leader uh, the biblical leader so uh, that's the context of this of being a leader it's not some prideful thing it is a responsibility that's high and holy that God has given to us to be a father. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for directing us in these scriptures. Thank you for your plans of leadership. You're so wise in how you designed all of life. So wise that uh, even the unbelieving world follows your principles in the areas they want in their business when they want things to go well and smoothly and efficiently. And we, we praise you for these principles you give us for our families. Pray that you would help us to carry them out uh, properly. 
Give us full understanding of these things and a commitment to these. Like the descendants of the Rechabites, they will hold to them, carry them out, even against the tide of the whole culture. And no matter what anybody else is doing, that we'll just believe and trust your ways, knowing that you're watching and your blessing is the ultimate thing of how things are going to turn out, not what the world thinks about us or what we might get from other people. So help us to be pleasing to you, our Heavenly Father, and carry out uh, your designs for our families and for the church, for the government, our communities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.